It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Today, we have a special guest speaker on campus, so buckle your seatbelts. All right, well, I'm excited that I get to share with you guys this morning. And as I was praying and pondering what to share, uh, an idea thought came to mind. I was like, no, we're not going to talk about that because everyone is talking about that and it's going to seem like I want to talk about that on purpose. And that's this idea and this concept of going back to the Psalms and really meditating on God being our refuge and strength and very present help in time of trouble. And I was like, oh, that just seems so trite because that's what everyone is talking about. And yet... Um, I know that taking steps forward in obedience is much better than maybe preparing something that might sound a little more theologically deep. But I wanted to share some encouragement with you that the Lord had led me through actually months prior before anything with this virus was a, you know, household acronym of COVID-19 before we even really used that term. The Lord was leading me through something and led me back to this psalm. And so I wanted to just share a few of those things with you today of uh, just insight and and comforting truth for these times that we're in. But it seems that every email that I'm opening up lately that is in my personal account, and I'm getting even more than I ever usually have, it always has this common phrase in the body of the email, and it says, oh, because of these unprecedented times or these unprecedented events, we are doing X, Y, and Z, and it's usually notifying me of a store closure or a library closure or, you know, this being suspended or this being delayed or this doctor's office saying, oh, we're only doing, you know, digital appointments. I don't even know how that works, but apparently that's what they're doing in northern Colorado. And I just kept flagging that phrase, unprecedented, unprecedented. And you know when you know what a word means, but you're like, I don't really know what it means. So I, you know, merriamwebster.com did it a few days ago, and it says, you know, completely unexpected. Things that you never thought would happen. And I remember hearing a story of someone who lived through, um, grew up in and during World War II, and they just said, you know, I've seen things that I never thought could happen, happen. And that's kind of the gist of what I'm getting from these different emails that I'm opening up. Just the fact that our nation, our world, even, is being thrown for a complete loop because of these unprecedented events, this unprecedented virus that's taken, uh, kind of just storming our headlines and the majority of our not just our headlines, but our minds included. If you turn on the news, um, which I'm thankful that I don't have cable, but what little I have seen of news stations, it's all about one thing right now. And it seems like if you watch it for very long, you would, too, think that the sky is falling. Like, that is how things appear. That's how things are being talked about. It's just this Sky is falling concept of, oh my goodness, this is happening, and this could happen, and I'm not downplaying the fact that there are rumblings and stirrings and vibrations and things are changing and moving. Yes, and that is unsettling. I understand that. I, I can see that that would be possible. Um, and yet we know as Christians we have an unshakable hope, a firm foundation that we can stand on in these times. 
But it's not just the stuff that's going on in the headlines. It's not just the stuff that's being broadcast on Fox News or whatever local news station that you tune into. It's also, we, we don't just have headlines on the news. We have stuff going on in our own homes and hearts, right? We have things going on um, that, quite frankly, it's, you know, yes, we've got wars abroad, but we've got wars in our homes. Um, there's wars going on in our own hearts, right? There's things going on in our personal world, not just the, the nation, world, geographical type of world stuff, current events, but we've got current events in our own lives, things that are deeply troubling, things that are kind of rattling our circumstances, our faith. You know, there are people where if you would walk up to them and ask them honestly, hey, how are you doing? If they answered you honestly, which oftentimes they don't, they would probably say something like, you know, actually, my world is falling apart. Actually, I don't know what end is up anymore. And I hear that, and I see that. And I've even felt that to, to, at some level, to some degree, in various times in my life. And yet, my prayer is that what we land on today in the Word of God bolsters our faith, gives us hope when the sky seems a little dark and brooding, and gives us something grippable, graspable to hold on to that we know will not be shaken and give us confidence and steadfastness for whatever may come, whether it's a headline or whether it's just a headline in our own heart. So I want to turn to Psalm 46, and you can turn there with me if you want to. We're just going to take a look at the first few verses, you may have memorized these at some point. They're very common, and yet I love how the Psalms evoke that heart cry of what we're going through, and when something does rattle our little world, we can go back to these, these truths that comfort and bring just a bomb to our soul like none other. So I'm just going to read the first few verses, and then we'll get into this. It says in Psalm 46, Starting in verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. I just want to camp out on that for a few moments. This when you look at these two verses, this is a very interesting set of current events. <laughs> okay, if you were to turn on the news and they say, Rocky Mountains all of a sudden picked up from their mountain range and tossed into the Pacific, I can't even imagine the state of our grocery stores, right? Um, I don't even want to know what the toilet paper aisle looks like at a time like that. <laughs> I always, uh, I grew up in the Northeast, so we're quite familiar with, you know, blizzards and nor'easters and squalls and things and thus and such. And it would make me laugh every time because sometimes it was almost fun to go to the grocery store whenever there was a blizzard coming just to see all the aisles wiped out. And it was always three aisles. Bread, well, I should say four. Bread, milk, eggs, and toilet paper. And I'm like, what in the world? That is such an odd combination because it's not like bread and peanut butter and jelly. It's just like bread, milk, eggs. And I'm like, you can't even, I was thinking this is, this, these are Sarah's early morning ramblings this morning. I was going, like, what can you even make with bread and milk and eggs? And there's like, I totally get it, 30 years, and I finally figured it out 
that these people, I've been missing out on the blizzard tradition. These people are making French toast every time that a blizzard comes. And that has not been my go-to meal of choice. And so the next time, this morning, I had to come here so I couldn't have French toast. But I did have bread and milk and eggs. And so I am slightly tempted to go home and after shoveling, getting things clean, to, to make myself up some French toast. That's a completely distraction from what we're talking about this morning. But it goes to show that if that, something like that happened, that you better have your bread, your milk, and your eggs so that you can at least have a comfort, some comfort food. <laughs> oh, anyway, so if that something like that happened, these headlines that we're reading in this psalm is even if the earth is removed. Again, like, I love word pictures. So these word pictures, they're huge. They are catastrophic. They are unprecedented, as the emails would tell us, right? If the mountains were carried into the midst of the sea, and we think here, you know, being in Colorado, we look out our windows, right, and we see the Rockies. Number one, that would be quite a feat, because from here to the ocean, there's quite a distance. But it just gives this, this picture of, well, that's impossible. And yet the psalmist is saying, even if, even if all this happens, we will not fear. And that's amazing. I can't, again, I can't imagine what, how news stations would cover and broadcast <laughs> a headline like that. You know, Rocky Mountains carried into the midst of the sea. News bulletin at 11. Like, it just, it doesn't even compute. I don't even know how that, how that would look. And yet, while we see that the magnitude of these circumstances is quite literally the sky is falling. Right now we hear stuff where it, it feels like the sky is falling, but we read this stuff and we realize, no, that's like a literal representation of the sky falling. You know, we don't need a chicken little, but that's like really the, the reality of that event. And yet, even if that's the magnitude of those circumstances, we realize that because God is our refuge and our strength, because he's a very present help, we can be, remain sure and steadfast, fixed, not freaking out if we don't happen to have our magical recipe for our comfort food that morning. Personally, I've never been one to be uber fearful, overly afraid. I've never been a huge, what if this, or what if I get sick that, or what could this mean, or what will I do if? That's never been my, my specific hang-up. Um, yes, there have been times where I've been led to worry and stress and all of those other sins that we don't like to call them. But that's never been a true hang-up of mine. And then, you know, the Lord is so good and so gracious as to bring something into my life. It was towards the beginning of the year where I was faced with a, a decision, and I, I've never had an attack of fear at this moment. I will say it was definitely an attack of the enemy of bringing an onslaught of fear into my life. And I've never felt anything like that before or since, praise the Lord. But I was just, I remember sitting there going, thinking through all the what ifs. What if I make this decision and what if this happens? Where do I go from there? What if I step forward in this? That's that, like, Lord, do you realize that that's a big step of faith? You know, do you, do you realize the sacrifice here? Do you realize that I don't have the, the fallback option or the cushion or the mattress here to catch my fall? Meanwhile, the Lord's going, Sarah, 
stop being dumb. You realize, on the mattress to catch your fall. I will be there if anything falls out from underneath you. But I was going through all of those what-ifs. And so, in a sense, I remember feeling all those feelings, feeling that they were so real, feeling that they could happen in the next moment. And I recognized instantly, okay, these thoughts are not coming from God. Okay, this is also very atypical for me. All right, this is the enemy bringing this into my life. And so there was such a control in that moment to be like, yes, I'm feeling like this, but I need to go to the word of God. So I remember it was uh, actually a Sunday morning. Came, drove home after morning daily thunder, plunked myself down on my floor, opened up the word, and this is where I landed. God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And then as I got into verses 2 and 3, where it's talking about that we will not fear stuff and all the what-ifs of those two verses, I saw them a shade differently than I ever have before. And we know that... um, we know that God's word is God's word. We take it literally. We, we know that it means what it says. It says what it means. And that's how we're to take it. And we're to stand upon it in absolute truth. I would 150% agree with that. And yet we also know that there are, especially in the Psalms, we do have these uh, symbolisms. We do have um, figurative meaning as well as literal meaning. And for the first time in verses 2 and 3, I saw those verses in a, a different figurative context than I ever have before, and I wanted to share that with you. Yes, I realize that we have a very real world with a real set of problems, but we also have, we have the geographical context of our world, and then we also have, like, the world of Sarah Guthrie, which is a slightly odd and awkward place to be, (laughs) but I have my own personal world, right? I have my own personal people, my own personal set of circumstances and boundaries and hopes and trials. And so we see that I don't just have my own, my own world, uh, as in, I'm not trying to make it like it's a bubble, but my own set of things that are happening aside from all of the, the global news headline stuff. And I also have my own set of things in my life that I have viewed or taken for granted or just naturally thought, being the human and the sheep that I am, of realizing I have these things that I think are permanent fixtures in my life. Things that I think, well, they're non-negotiable. Like, it's just, you have to have that. Or, well, of course I'll always have fill in the blank. Whether it's a relationship or a family member or a certain job or you, you fill in the blank, whatever you're not, a certain type of house or a certain lifestyle, or, I mean, I'm definitely not this kind of person, but a certain car, <laughs> definitely not a car girl, but if you have that certain car where it's just like, well, this is a given, this is like, I have to have this, and we view them as permanent fixtures in our lives, and as I was reading through these verses, I thought, wow, it's almost as if the psalmist is saying, you know, even if my whole world falls apart, and even if everything I thought was a permanent fixture in my life is picked up and is thrown into a sea of confusion and chaos, I don't have to fear. And I had, maybe you guys have like, yeah, Sarah, we've thought of that for a long time. That was like a new insight for me. And I just remember saying, 
talking to the Lord and thanking him for that insight and realizing he doesn't just have the whole world in his hands. He has my little world in his hands. And sometimes I think we can lose sight of one or the other or both at the same time. But it was just a different insight that I, res- that I was shown in and through reading these verses that, um, that it's not just the world at large, but it's my world, that it's not just mountain ranges, it's not the Appalachian Trail, or it's not the Rockies, or it's not Mount Kilimanjaro. It's also the permanent fixtures in my life. You know, you look out here, you see the Rocky Mountains. We know that, you know, we have 14ers here. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to go slip sliding away anywhere, anywhere too, anytime too soon. And yet, we would say, well, that's a permanent fixture. Like, it would be unprecedented for that to be touched. It's amazing. I, again, I grew up in the Northeast, so I'm maybe a little bit more familiar with things that have happened with current events sort of stuff from out there. But every summer, we used to, almost every summer, we used to go camping in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It's a really fun, uh, fun place to go. Um, I won't go bunny trailing off into why it's fun, but uh, part of the White Mountains are just a beautiful area. Lots of natural... Um, natural, I'll call them many wonders of the world, <laughs> natural wonders that we know that God's hand intricately formed and left for us to enjoy. And one of those things was a rock formation that they called the Old Man of the Mountain. And if you drove to the certain point of a uh, beautiful scenic highway and you pulled off, there was a scenic overlook, and if you looked at just the right angle and tipped your head and squinted just the right way, you would see the profile of a very chiseled, distinguished, uh, older gentleman coming out of this rock formation. That's what it looked like, and you would see his profile. And let me tell you, just that one thing would line people up on the side of the road and have everyone whipping out their iPhones so they're, you know, back in the day where we didn't have iPhones like your uh, disposable camera. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, things we don't use anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they'd take their pictures of the old man and get back in the car and, or share their picnic. It was a permanent fixture until 2003, when the old man, <laughs> the old man's face fell off of the mountain. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the whole state of New Hampshire went into mourning. There were bumper stickers. They now have a new commemorative license plate. I found this out last night, again, one of my little rambles. I was like, whatever happened with that? They made a commemorative license plate. Gone, but not forgotten. <laughs> They also made like this little memorial park garden and built this thing that looks <laughs> this is so random. Looks like a telephone pole that's sticking up and it has uh, it looks like a sculpture if you're just looking at it, but once you stand in that certain spot on the road and you tilt your head a certain way and you squint a certain way, you realize that they've recreated through this sculpture the profile. So it actually looks like the old man is still there. We know he's not, but he's still there. They thought it was something that could never happen. And it was unprecedented. It did. And that was just one, one little rock formation, one uh, cliff sort of thing on the, that hung on the face of the mountain. And it attracted, I believe, at that time, that it attracted nationwide coverage on the news. And that was just, again, it's just one rock formation, not even a mountain, part of a, of, of a few mountains that were... However they do that, I'm not a mountainy girl, but one mountain, we'll say. And yet that attracted so much attention. And yet we have things in our lives that we think, 
we have kind of the, the old man of the mountain in our own hearts, right? The things that we think, well, yeah, nothing can happen to that. Like, God wouldn't touch that. This is something that I've even put up on the altar, and he's sanctified, and he's given to me as a gift, and, well, that's, that's like a non-negotiable. We have to be really careful when we get into that spot. Because right when we start saying things like that, the state of our heart is that we're not surrendered. In this verse where it talks about the mountains being carried into the midst of the sea, to me, the sea is the place where I want to go when I want to relax, right? The sea is tranquil. The sea is majestic. The sea shows me so much about God's beauty, his majesty, his vastness. If you want to feel small, you just go sit on the shores of the Atlantic and just stare out, right? Um, if you want to feel small, you go get into a boat and you start <laughs> going out, you know, off the sound, and you'll know just how small and, and, and insignificant we are. And yet, God says that we're of more value than many sparrows, right? But while I have all of these positive associations with the sea, in the Jewish mind, in this context, the sea was, uh, for the Jew, was representative, repre it was a representation of, of chaos, of confusion, of the unknown, of, um, yeah, just of things that they couldn't put a label to. Everything that was scary, that was the sea. And so really in context, when you read this verse in verse 3, I'm oh, sorry, in verse 2, where it's talking about that mountains being carried into the midst of the sea, it has the idea of those permanent fixtures being tossed into confusion. And so, again, that's just a, a, a different, deeper shade of meaning that I was pondering in that same season of my life. And to be honest, I think if we were all talking and sharing and honest with ourselves, if we said, yeah, well, have you ever been there? Like, <laughs> have you ever felt that something was carried into a, a sea of confusion and chaos? Have you ever felt that something was just, that you thought was kind of settled and a done deal was all of a sudden picked up and tossed into a bucket of I don't know? And I think if we were all honest, we'd say, yeah, I've, I've been there. Or, yeah, I've felt that a little bit or to some extent. And so what do we do when that happens? How do we prepare, even if it's not happening right now, and we're like, actually, everything's like, everything's going along just fine, merrily, merrily, life is but a dream, like, I'm, I'm in a good season. Okay, well, how do we prepare for when something is tossed into a bucket of question marks or confusion? Well, these are the things that I want to share with you in the, uh, in the moments that we have left together. So, what do you do when the sky is falling? Or what do you do when it feels like the sky is falling? The first thing that we see in this psalm is to come back to truth. It says, the very first thing that we're introduced to in this psalm is not the fact that the mountains are being removed, is not the fact that the earth is being uh, removed, it's not the fact that anything is being tossed into the sea. It is the truth statement that God is our refuge, that God is our strength, that God is our very present help in trouble. It's the first statement out of his mouth. It's the fact, the thesis statement, if you want to say it, of, that, in, of the, that entire psalm flows out of that. And I would say, well, what is our thesis statement? What do we have that is our, our bedrock that we go back to when the wind is rattling the tree branches? What are our roots anchored in? What are we hearkening back to? What are we meditating on? What is our soul's response to the things that are going on? If we don't have them cultivated when we're in the merrily, merrily life is but a dream seasons, well, when 
it happens where all of a sudden it feels like the boat is taking in water and it's not so much of a dream anymore. If we don't have truth in our in the repertoire of our mind, in the arsenal of our understanding, we're going to get bowled right over when those things happening. And I think we see a mini bite size of, of that just in our nation, in our world right now. So we need to have be building, digging, shoring up, strengthening, repouring cement. If this, you know, after a while, cement kind of grows crumbly and starts uh, eking out of its confines, relay the foundation if you need to. Strengthen it, shore it, so that you have rock to stand on that isn't old man of the mountain type of rock that might fall off one day, but no, this is anchored in the unshakable truth of God's word and of his character and of his nature. It's interesting, in this one verse, we know and we read that God is a refuge. If you look into this word, it's used 20 times in the entire Bible, and of those 20 times, 13, it's used in the Psalms, one of them being here. And it has this idea of, um, sometimes it's translated hope or trust, but most of the time it's translated as refuge, or the person or thing to one whom the person or thing to whom one flees, to whom one finds their shelter in. And that is what God is to be for us, and we're never to leave that refuge. We are to stay in the refuge. And that, of course, that's denoting our position in Christ, that he is our refuge. Um, the idea of being very present, I'm, I'm not going to go in-depth into this verse, but I just wanted to touch on a few things. The second thing being a very present help. Um, this idea of being present is kind of like in the old school days of when you would go to school, if you're public schooled, like I grew up in public school, so we, you know, would come into class in the morning and take our assigned seats, and the teacher would start reading out the list of names of who was supposed to be there. And what would you do? You would raise your hand and you would say, present. <laughs> that is an idea of this word. It's easily findable. It's not well, I think God was here. Like, he was here just a minute ago. I just can't find him now. No, God is easily findable. He's not playing hide-and-go-seek with us. He's not um, a God that is too far off, that he cannot save, that he cannot hear, um, that he cannot rescue. He's easily findable. Sometimes we have to call for him in order to detect his presence, but he is always there. We know that we are promised that he will never leave us, no, never forsake us, as Hebrews 13 says. Um, so I just love the idea of the idea of being present is findable. That our God is a findable God. We see that at its very basest element in creation, right? That all creation testifies to the fact that there is a God, and that He can be easily found. In fact, He's stuck all of this stuff around us to say, "I'm right here. I created this. I haven't gone any. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not a deistic God where I created this and then I removed myself from it out of indifference or out of unlove." but I'm here. And then just the idea of trouble. It seems self-explanatory, but I still wanted to look it up anyway. And just the idea that this word carries with it, the idea of being in duress, in stress, in distress, in dire straits. And there was also one humorous example that also said that it's sometimes translated as a rival wife. And so, you know, Married guys listening to this or watching this, I have found your life first. For when you are in trouble 
and when you have a rival wife, that you can know that God is our refuge and and your strength and a very present help in that time of trouble. Not that it would ever happen, but I thought that was slightly humorous. Again, that was only translated the one or two times. This idea that when we are in trouble, when we're in distress, when we're in duress, we have an easily findable God. And we have a whole book of his truth that he has left us to help us dig that foundation. And we know when we, as the old children's song says, you know, the wise men built his house upon the rock. Why? So that when the rains came tumbling down, the wise men's house stood firm, right? And we know what happened to the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Um, I'm not going to go into the hand motions of the song, but we all know the, the trajectory, the outcome of that, even just using our common sense. And so just the idea that if we build our house, the house of our heart, upon his truth, then we will not be shaken. I love in Psalm uh, 16, verse 8, it says, you know, I have set the Lord always at my right hand, and because he is there, I will not be moved. Um, or, sorry, it says, I have set the, the Lord always before me, and because he has my right hand, I shall not be moved. And we realize that, yes, shaking things will happen, but that doesn't mean that the Christian has to be shaken. We can remain unshakable when we're anchored in Christ. And again, Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6 says, Let your conduct, let your manner of living be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. We can even say, be content with the shaking things that are going on around you. For God himself has said, I will never leave you, nor never forsake you. So that, so this is the reason why, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? So even when things are swirling about me, I can remain steady, I can remain constant, I can remain fixed, because I'm fastened to truth himself. Not because I have a good theory or a hypothesis or I'm testing this out and seeing how it's going to go, and I'll let you know. But no, I'm, I'm fastened to the thing that can never be shaken or removed, the one thing that can never be shaken or removed. The second thing that we can do or take heart and comfort in when, when it feels like the sky is falling is to be still in the storm. Going back to our text, a few verses later in verse 10, the psalmist is saying, be st- well, the psalmist pens, be still and know that I am God. I, God, will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. I love that connective and there. Be still, not just being still, not just meditating, or, you know, the modern meditation of just, I'm just practicing being still, I'm just emptying my mind. No, be still and know. There is a knowing that's going on here. There is an action that's going on here, and it denotes that we have to be still in order to get to that knowing. And so when it feels like the sky is falling, it's a great opportunity to quiet our heart and say, okay, yes, all this is swirling about, but you know what? I'm going to go and find a spot where I can get alone with the Lord and quiet my heart before him and be still and practice the art of knowing who he is. <laughs> and again, that doesn't have to be this, well, how do we do that? Go search who he is in his word. He's left the word of God for us to know more about who he is. Practice knowing that he is God of this world. Practice knowing that he is sovereign over these circumstances, that he is intricately involved in our situation and in our issues. Um, you know, the the state of our nation may be... <laughs> It is not well, you know, whether you look at the stock market or current events or 
if you live in the states, a presidential election, and we're like, whew, it is not well with the state of our nation's soul. And you know what? That's okay. It may not be well with our circumstances, but it must always be well with our soul. And this, uh, in this verse where it talks about being still and knowing that he is God, it just denotes that a soul that is at rest, a soul that is at peace, is one who is finding their repose in God. They can just lean back into the arms of God and go, okay, I know that underneath me are the everlasting arms. I know that he's not going to, you know, all of a sudden just drop me. And again, there won't be, he will be that, that mattress, <laughs> that person who catches my fall if ever circumstances do take a different turn. But we know that um, when we are still, and then when we're filled with a knowledge of who God is, knowledge banishes fear. Because fear feeds off of ignorance and naivete. So when we don't know who God is, and we don't know how capable, we don't know how able, we don't know how present, not just that he's a present help, but we don't know that he's a very present help. I love how the Bible adds that, that word in there. Um, but when we don't realize the full scope of that, then there will be ignorance, and then we will be led into fear. You know, what do I do when I'm afraid of the dark, and I feel like there are monsters underneath my bed, or there's monsters in the closet? What do I do? Well, of course, I yell for my mom and dad, and they come rushing in, and they look under the bed, and they look in the closet. But I couldn't do that last week when I was afraid of the dark, because I lived by myself. So I had to actually get up out of bed and turn on the light and look under my bed and look in the closet. And just those acts of actually going and finding out and knowing if there are really monsters under the bed and realizing that, of course, there are not, it puts me completely at peace and I'm able to go back to sleep and realize, oh, yeah, I may feel like they're there, but they're not. So do you see how knowledge of something actually disarms fear? So the greatest knowledge that we can have, we have enough knowledge about our circumstances. We have enough knowledge about what's going on in current events we probably have too much of it, but we definitely need more of a knowledge of who God is. And so that is my challenge to you um, this morning. Another thing that we can do when the sky is falling is to simply accept the fact that our world will be shaken. Jesus said it best when he said, you know, in this world, you will have tribulation. And that word tribulation means pres pressing, pressure, trial, kind of like putting something through a vice. Uh, trying to, you know, take a quarter and stick it through a, a penny size opening. Yes, there will be pressure. There will be times of pressing in our life. But then what does he go on, go on to say? But be of good cheer, for he's already overcome the world. So if we're promised and we know, and we know that we know that trial will come, that tribulation will come, that pressing will come, but yet sometimes when the shaking does come, I've never lived or been or experienced an earthquake, but you must be trying to kind of like put your hands on the pictures on the walls and, you know, keeping things from falling off and stabilizing your world as much as you can in that moment. And I would say to some extent that's a natural human response. You know, if something, if I see something falling off the wall, my hand is going to go out to try to keep it there or to try to catch it, right? But when our world is being shaken, we must accept the fact that it will be shaken and to actually stop trying to resist the stirrings and the shakings that God is maybe not causing, 
but allowing. And some of them he does cause. <laughs> and the ones that he is allowing, we know he's allowing for a far deeper purpose than our present pain or question mark or confusion. And again, we'll know that if we know the truth of God's word. When we don't know that, we have a trial of our faith and we're in a dangerous situation and spot, which we've, um, I know I've, I've seen that in, uh, just in those around me going through a trial of their own faith. It says in Hebrews, um, Hebrews 12, just about this, this concept that our world will be shaken. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 26 through 28, but now he, referring to God, has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And the writer of Hebrews says, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, since the kingdom that we are receiving, the kingdom that we're truly a part of, cannot be shaken, it's an unshakable kingdom, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. We know that God is God. We know that he's sovereign. We know that he's in, in control, that he's on the throne. We know that he's intensely concerned about the welfare of his kids. When we know those things, we can accept that there will be vibrations of change, even in our own lives. We know that we can accept that anything that he allows to be shaken is ultimately so that the things which cannot be shaken from our life will remain and will be further rooted, will grow stronger. Um, classic example, you know, when you have a hurricane or gale force winds, um, it can often snap the, the small trees right in half. But yet, to the more established trees, it actually, it, well, even to the small trees, it will strengthen them. It's helping them withstand that pressure, withstand that force. And so, in a sense, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is when these things are shaken, it's so that the things that cannot be shaken from our lives will remain. When things turn upside down, topsy-turvy in our world, you realize real quick what matters. And you realize real quick what doesn't really count, whether it's in light of eternity or just even in life. You know, when all the stores are closing and when stuff has gone in the grocery store, we realize, oh yeah, I don't really need this. <laughs> like, it's okay that this is shaken out of my life, but this, these are my clearly defined priorities. I need to be in the word. I have responsibilities to care for, with, whether it's with my family or um, with those I'm serving. I need to be outward in this time. Our priorities are, are so quickly aligned and defined when we go through these times of shaking. And again, I would just say that, um, that when things are being shaken, that rather than resist it, rather than pretend that it's not happening, just to realize, yeah, this will come. But I know and I'm assured that God is with me, that he's very present, and that after all of these things, <laughs> that he will perfect, that he will establish me, that he will strengthen and settle me, as First Peter 5.10 says. And just the fact that those, all those words, perfect, establish, strengthen, settle, especially the words establish and, and settle, that idea of settle is um, like settling a colony or settling a town, uh, if you think back to like if you go to a historical town and they'll have a, a sign that is 
maybe in some, some prominent place in the community that says, you know, this town was established in 1602 or whatever it might be. That's the idea of this word, that God will settle us, that in the midst of these shaking things, God is planting a, a landmark in our life that says, this is what I'm settling in you here in this moment. This is what I've taught you, and this is what I'm bringing to fuller maturation, to a greater strength in your life, and I'm settling this in your life. And you'll always look back, you know, 10, 15 years from hence, and you'll be able to point back to this, to this landmark and say, yeah, during that time, yes, my world is shaking, and God settled this in my heart. God settled this in my life. This is what I knew. This is what I gra- gripped a hold on onto in that time. And that is um, definitely what what God wants to do when things are shaky. The very last thing, just taking these last few minutes here, is um, to cultivate a heart that is set on pilgrimage. To realize, you know, we sing songs about the fact that this world isn't my home, you know, I'm just passing through, and my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, and we sing that, and we know with a head knowledge that this isn't our final resting place, that this is not the kingdom that we're laboring for. And yet it's when we have these shaking times that we can see maybe we've been a little too rooted to the here and now. Maybe we've been allowing things to come into our lives that fix our eyes to, I'll say, the earth, the floor, the things that are going on in the here and now, rather than to have our gaze focused and fixed on things above where moth and rust doesn't corrupt, where thieves don't break through and steal. And so it's a good reminder that when it feels like the sky is falling to say, okay, well, Lord, am I, am I ready? Like, am I feeling this because I have all of these roots and ties to, and my heart is fixed and fastened to the things, to the pleasures of this life or to the earthly, uh, just the earthly trappings. Now I realize, yes, we, we have jobs and we have cars and we have bills, and I'm not saying don't do any of those things. That's a different extreme that we're not talking about. But I would say the, the majority of us have the issue with being too fixed and too rooted to things of this earth. And we realize that while right now we have a lot of, um, a lot of boy that cried wolf syndrome of the sky is falling, where it, yes, it feels like it, yes, there's things going on, but do you realize that there is coming a day when this earth will be dissolved? There is coming a day where Psalm 46 is going to take place <laughs> in a very real and literal way. We're told in Second Peter, I'm just going to flip there real quick. Second Peter 3 gives us the articulation of what is still yet to come. Second Peter 3 verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord, when the Lord's return, when the Lord will return, will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, liquidated, done away with, carried away, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hastening into the coming of the day of God, where the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And then it's, the answer is, nevertheless, 
we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you're looking for such things, seeing that we're realizing that we're pilgrims, seeing that we're realizing that this earth will be done away with eventually, seeing that we're looking for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him, of God, of Jesus when he returns, in peace, without spot, and blameless. So we're given many directives of how we can be using and stewarding and redeeming this time as pilgrims and strangers here upon this earth. But here in this verse, it tells us that we are to be found in peace. So when the the world is done away with, the state of our soul is tranquility. And then it says to be without spot without and blameless. To not be spotted up with the things of this world. To not be in, to be in the world, to be of the world, to be cloaking ourselves with the things that the world does and acting as the world does and participating in what the world participates in. But he calls us to be separate. He calls us to be set apart. He calls us to be surrendered, to be blameless, to be spotless for his return. Those are the type of people, that, those are the type of qualities that we should be as we wait for him to return into our lives. And that means that, I guess the best encouragement I can give you is, okay, what does it look like to be a pilgrim, to realize that I'm just passing through? How do I balance that when I do have responsibilities and commitments? I would say the things that the Lord has directed me to are to hold the things of this world loosely, to not have a tight grasp, but to have an open hand, realizing that the Lord can place in, And if I have an open hand, that means he can also lift it out. And it means that I'm not tightly gripping, uh, going to experience even more (laughs) pain when he lifts something out because I'm clenching my fist, not wanting him to pry my fingers open. But to hold on to the things of this world loosely, to invest in that which is eternal, to set our affection on things above, as Colossians says, or to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, as as Jesus said in Matthew 6. Um, to intentionally be building this focus that's not fixated on on here, but is saying, I know truth about this here, so I'm going to live in a way that what I, how I'm living here will easily carry over when I'm etern- when I'm in etern- my eternal resting place. We'll say eternity begins now. My, my eternal resting place with Jesus. And the last thing would be to surrender, to surrender every step of the way. Um, Lilius Trotter. Sid, I think, has a great articulation on surrender. Um, She was a Victorian painter who is extremely gifted and yet surrendered all of that uh, to the Lord and pretty much said, I I won't pick this up unless Jesus directs me to or has a purpose in it. And she could have had a glittering art career. She laid it all down, and she went after the things that were eternal. She went after souls, uh, particularly to the people group in Algiers, now what we would call Algeria. And she wrote this. She said, are our hands off the very blossom of our life? Are all things, even the treasure that he has sanctified, held loosely, ready to be parted with, without a struggle, when he asks for them? And I love that, the blossom of our life. What we think is most beautiful, most precious, most valuable. Our dream, our desire, our goal, our priorities. Our hands off of it. Yes, it can be resting there doesn't mean that it's not there in your hand, but has your hand closed around it, or is your hand off of it? 
are all things, even the treasure, that, again, the things that we think, well, I've put this on the altar, and the Lord's still giving it to me. But are even those things, even the good things, ready to be parted with without a struggle when he asks for it? I think that what we're seeing a lot in our nation right now are things that we've been tightly gripping our hand around. And now as those fingers have been pried loose and we feel vulnerable and we feel exposed and we feel like we don't know what to do, it's ultimately showing that we have not been surrendered. And so my encouragement to you this morning, above all, is to surrender to your Lord, to get close with Jesus, to take that thing, whatever you've been maybe holding a little too tightly onto, even if it's a really good thing, and to lay it fresh before the Lord this morning so that that way, if your earth, if your world is falling apart and if everything you thought was a permanent fixture in your life is suddenly thrown into a sea of confusion or chaos, you will know that the Lord is your strength, that the Lord is very present, easily findable, and that he is a very present help in time of trouble. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are our helper. Lord, that you are easily findable, that you're not just out of reach or far above the situation or disinterested. And Lord, that you're interested and aware and over and sovereign over not just the headlines and not just the, what the news is covering or what Fox News thinks is important, but you are also as equally concerned in what is going on in each of our worlds. And Lord, I only know what's really going on in my world. <laughs> um, really, that's the only thing I'm thoroughly acquainted with. And yet, you know. And what a precious truth it is to know that you know and to rest in the fact that if you know that we can rest, we can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father, who is a good Father who gives good gifts to his children, will know how to handle these things that concern us, these things that may be shaking us. And Lord, I pray if there are things in our own personal lives that are shaking, that are throwing things out of joint or out of place in our lives, oh Lord, may we see that it's just wind that's rattling the branches. May we see that it's just an opportunity to drive our roots deeper into you. Lord, we know that when a plant roots its anchor, it roots itself into a rock, it is so hard to pull that to pull that plant up. I pray that we would plant ourselves in like manner, that we would be uh, driving our roots deeper into you, that we would be watering ourselves with the word of God, that we would be drawing near to you, that, we'd be, that we would be still before you, and that we would practice in knowing that you are God, that you are sovereign and in control. Father, we just lift up our world at large, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come. Lord, that you would come into these situations that you would deliver, that you would redeem, that you would bring revival. Oh, Lord Jesus, as our world is being shaken, Lord, it is the prime opportunity for a harvest to be brought in. And so I pray as those who fear your name and as those who love you, as those who know you and know the power of your gospel, Lord, that we would be ready to give an answer to the, uh, for the hope that lies within us. We love you so much, Jesus. We give you this day. We give you our lives. We just say that you are worthy. In your name I pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. 
We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.